Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Uh, today we have two guests. I know two. That's that's how we doing it now. It's, it's 2022, people. Uh, we have Jen Greenstreet, who is a writer, producer, director of a, a movie that I need you all to see. I, movie, documentary. Uh, it, it's incredible. It's called just like you, and it covers uh, anxiety and depression. And then we have Hillary Phillips, who is the CEO of the Pearson Project, uh, and it's a nonprofit to bring awareness to uh, people who are struggling with mental health, but specifically uh, suicidality. As Hillary has, uh, her son died by suicide um, at the age of uh, fourteen. So, welcome Jen Greenstreet and Hillary. Phillips to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice awesome. to be here. Thanks for having us, Leo. I am excited to talk about this movie. Uh, are you calling it a movie or documentary? Both. Both. Love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, it's a movie. I can call that myself is, that falls in the genre of documentary. All right. Love it. So uh, the reason why I love this is, that, that, first of all, let's talk about the title, Just Like You, Anxiety and Depression. And I love the title, first of all, because it's so f- funny that in a land of or a world of six billion people, we think that we're the only ones who are dealing with what we're dealing with, whether it's anxiety, depression, or suicidal thoughts. And... Uh, this movie is a is a testament and a display of the of the idea that whether you are a sports journalist or a teenager or no matter you know if you're young if you're old if you're black or you're white no matter what your background is uh, we all uh, at some time if for some of us it could be all the time are struggling with anxiety and depression. Um, I'm sure the feedback that you've gotten from this has been incredible. Yes, it has. It has. Um, you know, I, I was so shocked to learn when I began this project, just how pervasive and dangerous these medical conditions are. Um, you know, the, the World Health Organization estimates that 500 million people live with anxiety disorder and depression all over the world. And that um, these conditions are a leading cause of of death by suicide. Yeah, most most people who die by suicide have um, been living with depression or anxiety or some sort of mental illness. They've decided. Um, so it's one of those things that I think this movie does or documentary does a great job of is explaining that it is just a, it's a mental illness is just like a physical illness, and that we need to treat it as such and understand it as such. And I think that's such a powerful message, and that's the one. Um, that I love that really, I feel like it really got across in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. It did. And, you know, Jen, I know that you've, you know, written, produced, directed a a series of movies in the, in kind of in this, just like you from burns, anxiety disorder, autism. Uh, what is, what's been a driving factor for you, uh, with this movie in particular? You know, I, I, that's, I'm so excited you asked that question because I think it really illustrates um, that the stigma that surrounds 
these conditions because I myself bought into um, the stick, like what is creating, creating the stigma when, and it kind of came to light when I had a conversation with a friend and she said, Hey, Jen, would you ever want to make a, a, just like you film about anxiety and depression? And my answer was, wow, you know, that's a, that's a really interesting idea, but you, we usually make movies about medical conditions. Are those really medical? Can I didn't really understand or put them in the same category as I would cancer or, you know, any other medical conditions. So I realized in that moment that, um, I had kind of bought into the ideas that that created the stigma. So I, I, that impression that I had was how important it was to to get this movie out there um, because I, I I knew I wasn't the only one that didn't understand the true nature of these conditions. Yeah, you know, I've shared with some of my friends my struggle with depression and suicidal thoughts, and you know, and they were. You know, the ones who haven't experienced that are just like, I don't get it. And then uh, a friend of mine just recently who uh, experienced uh, a bout of depression was like, now I understand. Like how hard it is to get out of bed, to brush your teeth, to take a shower, to change your clothes. Like it just, you just feel like you have a thousand pound blanket on top of you. I can, I can attest to that. It does. before my son died by suicide, I did not deal with depression. I had anxiety, but I didn't deal with depression. Um, I definitely have since then, but I watching your child go through this is really, it's tough, especially when you are in a world where so many people, even just three years ago, didn't understand it. There's so many more people speaking about it now, but um, I, I've said this many times that um there's so much on social media these days and, and stuff that's out there. If people can say something, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true when it comes to mental illness, um, depression, anxiety, OCD, any of those things. So really seeking out mental health professionals um, who know who know what they're talking about is important because I remember my son getting upset at signs we'd see that said, choose happy, think positive. He's like, I wish I could, <laughs> you know, so um and I'm sure you've heard some of those you know, same kind of things yourself. It's easier for people to dismiss it because it's harder to really think about it. But that was our big struggle was getting people to understand that, you know, it wasn't that simple. He couldn't just get out of bed and go to school. Um, or, you know, he, there were lots of times we had that issue and it, it was very difficult. Uh, they thought he just was being difficult, manipulative, difficult. And the movie addresses that a bit with um, Rashawn and Regina, his mother, when she says that she thought he was being manipulative. And I think that's a perception we have of, of kids, especially. Um, And then with girls, teen girls, a lot of times people think it's just drama and that they're making it up for attention. And I've heard that so many times and I've had people who've said that about their own daughters. And it turns out they eventually realize it wasn't drama. It was actually this. And they, they're stunned because they didn't experience, they didn't understand it. And now they do. Um, Are you talking about me, Hillary? No, <laughs> no. Well, no. it's true. That's how, that was my experience. 
No, I mean, like in the sense that your daughter um, has tried to overdose and you're not paying attention. Like oh, you're yeah. just like, oh, yeah, you're just yeah. being right. drama. No, okay. And you, yeah. no, your daughter yeah. didn't take three bottles of pills just to create drama. She's right. not okay. And she's right. screaming for help. And I feel like that's right. too many parents have ignored something so big. Like had I found three bottles of pills and my son, you know, passed out, I would have not closed the door and said, that's drama. <laughs> I would have called 911, you know, right. Um, I was informed by one of the mental health CEOs here in this area that I wasn't a normal parent. Like they see a lot of parents who don't um, reach out the way we did. But I think it honestly wasn't me so much as it was my son being that driving force. Um, so you know, he never gave up until the end when he couldn't manage it anymore. But he he pushed and he pushed that boundary to get the help and to speak out. So this movie is is... I mean, it's literally, I watch it. I'm the biggest fan, by the way, Jen. I'm the, the movie's biggest <laughs> fan. And um, <laughs> I'm, I'm claiming to be a movie star since I'm in it, just so you know. But I've watched this. I've shown it in the salon to clients, little clips here and there. I've had families go, we are going to watch this together as a family. I mean, when they watch some of it and see it, they're like, oh, that is an amazing way to explain that. I get it just from a short clip. And I'm like, this is such an important movie that I just urge everyone to, uh, whether you have kids or not, um, anyone, I mean, this is just such an important movie to me. I think it's going to change and save lives. Jen says that too, but I mean, it's really true. Yeah. Jen, it seems like the, the, the movies that and, and documentaries that you gravitate towards creating and writing and, and producing and directing are, those that um, aim to unify us. I, I heard you um, in, in an interview talk about how, um, you know, movies are weapons for mass connection. Can you tell me more about that? Sure. You know, um, I recently, I attended Sundance virtually this year. I did last year too. It was incredible. I was able to consume so much content <laughs> over the course of a few days. And I, I got to watch a documentary. Um, it's called Brainwashed. I highly recommend it, by the way. Um, it talks about how most movies are shot through uh, the male gaze, um, mm. which I had no idea about that. But what they talk about is what a sacred act, um, creating content, creating films, and also taking in films actually is. Because when I make a movie, I'm, I'm actually inviting myself into someone's mind and into their deep psyche. And when you're watching a movie, the, the content that you choose to consume, you're actually opening up your mind and inviting that content to into your mind and your psyche. So um, I take that, I take that responsibility very seriously. And, and my background, actually, i I started my professional career as a prosecuting attorney. Um, and I practiced uh, here in Kansas City, mostly prosecuting violent crimes. And so I know the power of story because I, my job was to tell stories in a courtroom and how I told those stories, um, what was hanging in the balance with someone's life. So everyone asked me, how did you go from being an attorney to a filmmaker? And like, it's not as big a jump as you think, because when you're a trial lawyer, you're telling a you know, persuasive way to a jury to get a, a specific outcome. As a filmmaker, 
I'm telling a, a, a story through my subjects to get a first, you know, to, to explore a specific topic. So it's not as different as just trying a case as a live show. And <laughs> when you're taping a movie, you can call cut, <laughs> which is very nice. I wish I could have called cut many times in the courtroom. <laughs> but, um, but I think that um, my background in wanting to be of service and, and knowing the power of story has made me very mindful in the topics I choose to put out into the ether and, and knowing that it, that every story we tell is, has the potential to greatly impact a life. And I want to be very responsible in the stories I choose to tell. Yeah. What a, I, 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 I don't know. I'm um, sorry. Somebody has their notifications on that keeps. Uh, yeah. Beating. I'm sorry. I don't know how to turn it off. Um, uh, like I, a, there might be a do not disturb in there. Oh yeah. Was, okay. Yeah. Sorry um, about that. What a, you know, this is what a proactive way to go about this because you know, I don't know what the, what the numbers are, what the stats are, but I'm sure that there's a link between uh, anxiety and depression and criminal activity. Be- yes. You know, <laughs> Hillary, yes, yeah, yes. go ahead, please. There, there is. Um, so uh, we have a lot of people who are incarcerated that are living with a mental health condition and that's uh, addiction is part of a mental illness. Uh, people self-medicate. Uh, one of the, again, I quote my son a lot, but uh, he said, Cook County Jail is one uh, is the if, is one of, if not the largest mental health care facility in the U.S. This is a jail in Chicago. It is one of the largest mental health care facilities because they have that many people who need mental health care. Um, and it's not fun getting that in a jail uh, situation. So if we can intervene and take care of things when people are younger and when they're kids, and we can save so many lives in so many different ways, you know, from becoming destructive or, um, you know, I have a, someone who'd come into the salon. She had been, uh, arrested. She was in jail for three years. It was her first, first time she'd been caught with some drugs, um, was released two years ago, was on, uh, I don't even know the words, which one is parole probation, but she's on that now. Um, and it was her first offense and she was self-medicating because she lives with a mental health condition and the medicines she was taking weren't working. So she was literally, you know, it, it's just like, there's gotta be a better way. I don't know what the answer is. I just know that we have so many people are afraid of the medicines because of the the warnings and the side effects. And I won't lie. My son's issue at the end was most likely due to a medication. Um, and I've experienced that myself since then where I've had the black box warnings from one, but I'm 51 and very well versed in mental health. Uh, so I was able to figure it out, I think to some extent and be able to get the help I needed. Whereas a, a younger kid or someone who didn't ever have that background, is not going to be able to understand that, um, and what that looks like. Uh, but yes, so many people with a mental health condition are in our prison system. And I feel like if we would be more, if if we could get rid of that stigma and shame, we'd have more people getting the help they needed sooner and that wouldn't happen. And there is a huge taboo about speaking about this as a black male. And uh, one of my good friends, uh, he's a rapper named King Iso who does live with the same things that my son you know, lived with, he raps about this, but it is taboo in that community. And he's, you know, 
we, we've spent time talking about this, how it's just really difficult to get people to listen sometimes um, and what that looks like. So he's, he's, he's also on that same mission to try to help change, change this so people don't have to go and be punished for something they can't control. Yeah, that's what's, uh, you know, remarkable about the, the documentary also is that you see so many different nationalities and races and faces. So, you know, you find you, you'll see people who look like you in this in this mm-hmm. documentary and so that you do feel less alone and you know that you're not the only one who looks like you that is going through what you're going through. Uh, Hillary, you mentioned you know, your, you know, medication may, you know, played a part in your son ending his life. And, you know, I have asthma and I, I was just yes. diagnosed like a year ago. And, and the doctor told me that one of my medications might cause suicidal thoughts. And I forgot about it. And I started taking this and, and like, I found myself crying five times a day, uh, like wanting to yeah. bang my head up against the wall. And yeah. like a week into it, and I mean, I, I was like, I have suicidal thoughts, but this is like at a thousand. Uh, yes, and then he was like, different. oh yeah, your your medication might be causing that. And I was like, what? And as soon as I got off, it went right back. You know, I, had, I had a normal level of suicidal thoughts. I, <laughs> <laughs> if that makes yes. yeah. sense. I understand. I understand what you mean. I mean, I do. I, I will say this, that for me, it was very insidious and I didn't understand what was happening because I was started having nightmares and bad dreams. And then the tears, like you were saying, I just would cry. And, um, I finally just, I think I just had a complete meltdown one day and I, I you know, I, 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 I joke about being a movie star cause I'm in this movie, Jen, but I, I do act every day. I pretend to be okay because I'm grieving, you know, I'm going to miss my son for the rest of my life. So I, I put on this mask, this happy face, but I'm, you know, I do cry every day because I miss him. But I know the difference between that normal feeling and what that medicine was giving me. And I still had to convince people because I pretend so well that I wasn't okay. Um, so even the mental health professionals, professionals were like, but, you know, it's the holidays. He just had his birthday. The anniversary is coming up. And I'm like, this isn't normal. And so, you know, sometimes pretending to be okay is not so great, <laughs> you know, it's, but I don't think we talk enough about what that side effect looks like in people. I don't think people understand what it feels like. So like you said, you just started crying uh, more and we're feeling those suicidal thoughts more often and, and figured it out. But how many people have we lost that didn't understand that that's what was happening? I feel like that's a, such an important topic too, but I, um, I, 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 yeah, that's a really big one. And I thank you for sharing your story with that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And Jen, Hillary, you were talking about how you how she puts on a happy face. And yeah. that's something that I was also surprised to learn that people living with anxiety disorder and depression, deep, deep depression, could seem like so happy and yeah. highly functioning on the like the kids in our documentary are like if you would just look at them as they present, um, it's hard to hard to have like oh are they really even going through something because they're so mm-hmm. highly they're highly functioning and um, they just seem so together they're they're amazing kids so I learning that that was actually one of the coping mechanisms of life with anxiety disorder and depression was putting on the happy face and being chatty and laughing um, 
I, you know, I kind of heard it and knew it intellectually, but kind of watching it play out when I got to know the kids and, and through the course of filming the documentary was pretty impactful and powerful and, and an important message that comes through in the movie too. And I, I think that's another part of the stigma we face a little bit is that some of these kids, like you say, Jen, they, they do put on a happy face and they can go and function. Pearson was highly functional. I mean, he was very smart, so intelligent, but he was, I mean, here was this kid at 13 standing on a stage in front of a thousand people giving a speech at an international convention who would think that this is a kid with anxiety, you know, like he's the one kid that, you know, that was going to be in the movie that could handle being in front of a big crowd, you know, without mm-hmm. any issues. He thrived like that, but because he looked and could do these things that other kids, you know, wouldn't have been able to do. He was dismissed a lot the, or his, his medical condition was dismissed a lot. Like, Oh, he'll be, he can manage that. He's fine. Um, not from doctors, but from, you know, like educators and other people in our lives, they didn't really get it because he appeared. Okay. So that's part of the fight as a mom that I had was fighting for people to believe him because he didn't look like it. So all those kids in the movie have had to, in some way, learn how to fight that, that, that pretending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Jen, the you know the fact that, and I and correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the funding for this movie came from the community, right? Like, you, yeah. Can you tell me more about that? Because I think that speaks to the the idea that more of us do want to learn and talk about it, and that we're not alone in this, or else the the community, the people, would not have funded this. What what was your pitch? What did you say to them? How did you get so many people on board? You know, Leo, we have been around for 15 years now. So, um, and I think, you know, we have 12, we have 12 films and it's a, it is a testament to the idea that uh, we, we want to know better and do better. I think in the entertainment industry, um, we kind of, I feel like sometimes go for the low hanging fruits, you know, what we want to veg out and watch at, you know, after we've been working all day long and that's great. And I definitely partake in that. But I, I think a lot of times we underestimate the thirst for knowledge and the, the want to, um, to understand our human being. So we can be more compassionate and empathetic when things like this come like anxiety disorder and down syndrome. I think the great majority of people want to know better how to, how to treat their fellow human being. And yes, that comes through. We have a yearly fundraiser for our events. We, it started out with a friend in the front yard of her house, <laughs> very grassroots. And this last event, um, it was sold out, you know, within weeks of us putting it out. And, um, you know, we had a, we raised more money than we've ever raised before to make and distribute more films. And our pitch to people is we want to create a kinder world through the power of film. Yeah. The thing that I really love about this film is that it, um, I don't. What's the word for it? But it, it shows us how anxiety and sadness can actually act as tools, as weapons, as guideposts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a part where it said that you know when we experience anxiety, uh, it allows us to consider multiple outcomes, and when we experience sadness, it reminds us uh, to reach out. So we're finding the the strength versus you know, looking at anxiety as, uh, you know, as all the negatives, there are upsides to our 
our pain, our despair, our sadness, our, our anxiety. Yes. Yeah. And I, uh, I was reading, um, have you, have you ever read the book, uh, Yuval Harari's books? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I, have, I love his books. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of, when I was writing the script, I was really into those books and you know, what is the evolutionary purpose of anxiety and sadness? Because there has to be some purpose that this is hardwired into our DNA. And I explored that with Truman too. And how he explained it is, you know, we have the the illustration of the being in the jungle and running away from it and being confronted with the tiger. So it's our anxiety that kicks in that saves our lives. If we don't have that anxiety, then then we would, you know, potentially be killed by the tiger. So yes. we need anxiety. Yeah. And and actually in our conversations with Dr. Matteo, he told me that he treats patients for having um, too low of levels of anxiety. Like they don't have enough anxiety, which I was surprised by. Um, and then I, I, then I could not imagine when I was talking to Dr. Matteo, like what would be the evolutionary purpose of sadness? Is there any reason why we have to, like, please tell me there's a purpose for these emotions. And he's like, absolutely. And when he explained to me that it keeps us in relationships and reminds us what's important to us, it keeps us in our tribe, basically it keeps us in community and helping each other and lifting each other up. Sadness does. And also, you know, just from a very primal perspective, a child crying so when a baby needs its mother, it, the, the, the baby's body emits um, something that makes it cry. So the mother will go find it and take care of it. So it really, like at a very foundational level, keeps the human race going. I just, I love all that stuff. I'm such a that's, nerd. No, that's, <laughs> I, I actually, I actually, um, when you talk about, you know, what's the purpose of, of sadness, that actually, I, I love that you just shared that because I haven't heard that one. I haven't heard you share that before. I, I really like that. I will. Oh, it's I actually will say, it's actually part of the film, Hillary. Remember it, the baby? How did I miss that? Part? Yeah, the animation. Oh, the animation yeah. part. Okay. Yes. Yes. Now I do. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> I, I did watch it. I've watched it multiple times. Yeah. Um, the um, did you watch in, it? No, <laughs> I did. I did. My husband's the one who can't. That's really, it. We're having it's a hard after this. It's hard for my husband to watch it. I won't lie. For him, it's very difficult. Um, and I've had uh, yeah. some other people that are close to us that have a hard time. You know, they're not, it's, it's hard, but otherwise, I mean, it's been a great reception from people. I will say, I had to say this, you were talking about those, the books. Um, and the last books I bought Pearson, we were at Costco and he wanted Sapiens and the, the second one's what? Homo Sapiens. What's yeah, the uh, second book? Uh, Homo, uh, Homo I think it's Deus. Deus. Yeah. Deus yeah. And yeah. then he has a, a third one. Sapiens. Yeah. Well, I didn't, mm -hmm. the third one I don't think was out yet, but he had the first two and I bought those at Costco for Pearson and he'd started reading it. So my eighth grader was wow. reading that book, which wow. is, so when you mentioned that, I thought how funny, no one ever talks about that. And, um, yeah, that is so funny to me that there you go. I mean, there you go, Leo, we were talking about how he was a deep thinker. That's yes. definitely. Well, you know, and, and the reason why I was, I said it, you know, in the beginning that I want to come back to that is, you know, because I, I also, I recognize that, like I have books on Mao and, mm -hmm. um, uh, Napoleon and all these other, uh, leaders <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, uh, from dictators to our authoritarian, um, <laughs> 
from Attila the Hun to Genghis Khan. And mm-hmm. what I'm starting to realize is that uh, when you become too aware yes. of what's happening in the world, um, mm-hmm. it, it can become overwhelming because I'm assuming your son was also very empathic and he just felt yes. things so deeply. And so yes. we, we, we have to, I recognize that I have to monitor what I take in because mm-hmm. I, I feel it deeply and I feel it for a long time. And then it just, it makes me walk the world. Like, how can you guys be so happy? Don't you know that, you know, this yeah. is happening and that's happening. And uh, so I almost have to protect myself from myself, even though I love reading about that stuff. Um, and I, and I, I totally can imagine understand. for a kid, you, you, you wouldn't have those filters or that awareness of exactly. I this think thing that's that true. you love affecting you in a way that it does. I actually think that that's brilliant that you brought that up because I think it's very true. Um, he had a love for that stuff. Uh, he enjoyed watching the news. He, he watched documentaries, you know, social, a lot of documentaries with like uh, civil rights and, and justice. Um, you know, he understood how we finally got dis- you know, disability rights because he also had Tourette syndrome. So he was covered under the Americans with Disability Act. And so we, we did talk about that. And uh, he loved history, but he was also, like you said, very empathetic. And so I think that's, you know, when he, you know, what's, what's Aleppo, who's the president of Syria? Like he was, you know, like, don't you know, there's genocide. <laughs> so he would, he would be very passionate about all of that. And, um, and I agree with you. There were times where I'm like, let's watch a cartoon. <laughs> Can we watch, let's watch a happy, funny movie. And, um, you know, and he did that too. So, so, I mean, he, we did try to balance that out, but, um, I agree. You can get in your head too much with that and go down that rabbit hole. And it's hard to get out of it because you understand what's actually happening. Um, and that's, yeah, I, I, I think I've recognized that more now that he's gone because I have to compartmentalize or disassociate from certain things. Cause I know that it will like trigger more depression if I'm not careful and you know, that kind of thing. So I agree with you on that. I think that was a very important point, actually very helpful for people. Jen, you know, one of the powerful things in your movie in this documentary also is that, you know, it it covers cognitive behavioral therapy so that, you know, when we have these ideas about things that or beliefs that feel like facts, that we can kind mm-hmm. of deconstruct them so it doesn't become overwhelming or we don't end up catastrophizing. Can, can you share uh, some of that? Um, that stood out to you from uh, the documentary? Yeah, sure. You know, Leo, I feel like a a lot of documentaries, traditional documentaries, spend a lot of time on the problem. Um, The great majority of the film is covering the problem. And uh, there's not a ton of time spent. And I'm a huge fan of documentaries, by the way. I love documentaries. But um, just for this specific purpose, I really wanted to spend some real time on the solutions and, and lay them out in a pragmatic way that would people could soak them up and take with them as a roadmap for life going forward, whether they lived with anxiety disorder and depression or they're lifting life up of those that live with anxiety disorder and depression. So I wanted to create like a, a toolbox with that. And so I, that was part of um, my interviewing of our subjects, what works for you? 
when you're in the depths of your anxiety disorder and depression, how do you pull yourself out? So therapy was absolutely a huge part. And we wanted to cover also that not only is there a stigma that surrounds um, just, you know, whether or not anxiety disorder and depression is a real medical condition, but there's also a stigma around the treatment of your anxiety disorder and depression. Oh, you go see a therapist. Yes. So we wanted to address that head on. And Dr. Mintu talks about it. Like, you know, I'm not, it's not a big deal. I'm like a coach for your brain. And instead of teaching you how to kick a soccer ball, I'm teaching you how to breathe deeply and do cognitive behavioral therapy or, um, uh, Abby, Abby Eden says, um, that her antidepressant is running. And like, I've heard her voice in my head in my own life, you know, when I'm feeling down, Oh, I'm going to go for a run or I'm going to exercise. That's absolutely how I lift my myself up when I'm feeling down. And, and so, yeah, so we wanted to provide that full toolbox. Um, talking to your friends um, is a huge one. Going for a car ride with one of your friends. One of the girls talked about that dancing, listening to music, volunteering your time, put, taking the attention off you. That's what Ryan Lefevre talks about, taking the attention off of himself and putting it on something else. And in my presentation, I talk about, you know, you guys were um, talking about taking so much in and being so empathetic and empathic. And it's hard not to, hard to filter it. We are inundated with media from the morning, the moment we open our eyes in the morning until the second we close them in, at night. I feel like I, I am taking in content nonstop. And we used to say information is power. But now we have more information than we could ever take in in millions of lifetimes in the palm of our hands. And I I would argue that in today's day and age, focus is power. And I tried to use our film as a way to focus people on on content that would help them with their anxiety disorder and depression or help support those that live with it or just focus on kindness or focus on gaining knowledge just to, just to focus the lens into something that is going to make people feel better and bring them together. I, I just want to say that you just hit on something um, that I'm sure Jen, that you'd heard, you know, Pearson say, but he said that uh, they don't have time for, you know, kids these days, we don't have time for anything because we're constantly being bombarded by everything coming at us all at once um, because of social media, because of all of that, they don't have time to stop and focus, like she was saying. Um, and it was something that, you know, he was aware of, like, it's, it's just constant. It's overwhelming that there's so much information coming at me, uh, through social media, through the the phone, the notifications on your phone, you know, anything. So yeah, that's actually, I like, you know, yeah. Getting that focus on there. How did you two find each other? (laughs) Um, well, so I, you want to tell the story? I do. We actually, my son, my, my son was a speaker at the speak up walk, which is a nonprofit here in Kansas city as well for, for suicide prevention. And it is, uh, cause Karen Arkin was also a part of this, her and her husband, Steve, both are neurologists and they lost their son, um, Jason, a few years before, uh, we lost Pearson. But they uh, had this walk. They'd asked Pearson to speak. And so he got up there and he spoke. But just like you had a, um, a table at this event. And so we went, we did the, they have an anti-bully pledge. We went and did that. 
took pictures, um, you know, did all that good stuff and he spoke. And then I think that's how we, we connected with Maria more was through that. Uh, Maria Stone Street, who's also a producer on the film and the Arkans had got to know Pearson. And so he, I mean, he was a natural at being able to, speak. he was allowed to speak about this. We had a safety net around him of healthcare professionals to make sure he had what he needed. But that is kind of how we got connected. Um, and then we were, um, we were invited to see the day, the, the debut of the, just like you films, diabetes type one. Uh, we went to that event to watch that film and that was kind of like let me see how i feel i want to make sure it'll be okay for you kind of thing with my son and i was amazed by because i hadn't seen any of the films before i was amazed at the whole thing it was take she took um an illness that we think that we know more about you know diabetes we hear about it more often but seeing it from these children these children's perspectives what it was like for them to live with it day by day in and day out and how their friends would react or teachers or, or you know, whomever. She really did such an amazing job of, of letting, you really could feel what these children were feeling and you understood their condition. What you thought you knew was not really what you knew, you know, and it just really, it, it was so much what my kid was talking about. He was trying to, you know, he was a kid talking about what it was like living with a mental health issue. And uh, I, I just loved, you know, I became a big fan immediately. Uh, let's put it that way. But that's kind of how we met. And then Maria Stone Street and my son became like BFFs. <laughs> so um, so that's how we met. Wow. That, yeah. That's a beautiful... Uh, uh, Jen, did you want to add to that? Oh, I just said, you know, I will never forget you guys walking up to our booth and just so excited to be there and so ready to support and take... We have this anti-bullying pledge and I'd love to share it with you, Leo. It, Please. It's like, it's just... a just some words we put together um, to just kind of say out loud that I'm, I'm choosing to focus on kindness and I'm choosing to see the victim and every bully and the hero and every victim kind of thing. Um, and they, you guys were just amazing. You're such a bright light on that rainy day. And <laughs> oh, you remember it raining. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Cause I was like, what was kind of um, Maria really wanted us to go out there and do the booth. And that's kind of one of my least favorite parts of <laughs> participating <laughs> in front of the booth. Um, but I was like, okay, let's go do it. And then, you know, always, it's always those things that you don't really want to do that turn out to be the most rewarding. And that's when I met Abby Eden too. Or I knew Abby Eden before, cause she covered our down syndrome film, but um, yeah. Cause she, she's the one that was introducing and interviewing Pearson during his speech. So yeah, that's when we met her as well. What an amazing day that was. Hillary, yeah. you know, early on, you you mentioned that you had experienced anxiety, but hadn't experienced depression um, until your son uh, had ended his life. How did anxiety feel to you different than depression? Well, with anxiety, I definitely um, and hmm, I can. How do I put that? With my depression, it was so overwhelming. It was, you know, I couldn't, I, I had no desire to do anything. Uh, the anxiety is more like this energy in me that makes me, uh, uh, how do I put that? 
I can start like having a panic attack with the anxiety. I can have, you know, this, uh, or, you know, where people will say, calm down. I'm like, I can't <laughs> hang on a minute. I have to go do, I've got to get in my toolbox, you know, for that. Um, and so I was really good at helping him with the anxiety parts of things. Uh, it was the depression that was harder. So now I will say that the difference is that with depression, I feel like I can't do anything. I have no desire to do anything. I want to stay in bed all day. I want to do nothing. Um, that's the biggest difference for me. The anxiety doesn't, the anxiety makes me like, you can see my anxiety. It's like, it's, it's like, it's constantly moving and the depression is not at all. Um, that's the best way for me to describe that, I guess. Love it. Beautiful. Well said. One's moving. One's not. Absolutely. The the heaviness of, of depression. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to get out of bed and anxiety you're just kind of running around, but with like no direction and Mm -hmm. like you're, you're under, uh, you feel like you're under attack, but, um, but you're not under attack. And it's like, yeah. And 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 your brain can trick you. Yes. mm -hmm. And your brain can trick you. She, Jen just mentioned, um, you know, about, you know, our feelings when she was talking about some of the toolbox issues and the the cognitive behavioral therapy. One of the things I, we say, you know, feelings are not facts. Let's stop and let's, you know, look at this feelings are not facts. So that was, you know, that's a big one that, uh, was helpful, but again, you know, the the movies are for, you know, for these kids. And sometimes these, these are concepts that for children, it's not as easy to grasp, um, for them. So like being able to present it in a different way, especially the way she does with all these movies that she's made that are so fantastic and amazing. But, you know, these kids have a friend. So in the movie, uh, they, you know, the kids that are there have like Dylan has his best friend that he can speak to. They, everyone has a safe person they can talk to. And that's one of the things that I really liked was that we need to make sure that there's that sense of community, that we have other people who also understand this and where, who it's safe to turn to if we're not okay and who know how to help us. And that movie shows that there are those people and you're not alone. And when you, as she says, with the Nehemiah Angelou quote, when you know better, you do better. Because if you don't understand this, you can't, you can't really help the same way. So the fact that she has the kids and their friends and show them working together to help, it's just, it's such an important part of it is having people around you that understand what to do if you need help, how to help, all of that. So it's, and, and the fact that she focuses on solutions and how to help when you are feeling this way, you know, when you feel depressed or when you're feeling anxious, what are things you can do to help? And she, she's right. Most documentaries about a medical condition don't focus on the, the fixing part of it. So that's, uh, this one definitely does. And it's, it's a good, it's, it's very powerful in that sense. And I know that my son watched uh, something about it was after Anthony Bourdain had passed away and they had a, a town hall on CNN. I think it was with Anderson Cooper who lost his brother. I think when he was 23 or something and he's this Pearson. I'm quoting my son again. He still asks why every day he doesn't know why, you know, his brother had to leave, but you know, now he's lost this friend and he had so many different people on that form. He had youth, he had women, he had Navy seals, um, my son said that what he got out of seeing just the little bit I let him watch was that he was not alone. He was not alone in this. 
He was not the only one fighting for people to understand it. And he was not the only one living with it. So this is all of these movies, anyone who's living with Down syndrome, autism, a burn, cancer, any of, they all can tell that they're not alone. And it, I think this, these movies help kids feel safer, more understood. And I think it just helps them feel more positive about their future. I, I think that they're just... Like I said, I'm her biggest fan. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, Jen, I, I, it sounds like the movie also empowers parents to yes. to find a vocabulary to talk and share with their kids. You know, I, I think a lot of when adults or parents are are, are seeing at least seem dismissive of their kids' emotions is because they don't have the vocabulary or the other skills to even know how to help their kids unpack what they're experiencing and be able to sit with them. And it sounds like your, your movie is, 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 uh, is very empowering for parents. Have you gotten that feedback from parents? Yeah, I have. And I, um, I, as a parent, um, learned so much and felt so empowered by it. Um, you know, with Regina talking about how at first she thought she didn't understand what Rashawn was doing. She thought he was throwing a fit or he was being manipulative. And so, you know, as a parent, you want to set your child up for success. And so when they exhibit those kinds of behaviors, you want to squash them as quickly as possible, or that's how I used to parent and how I was raised. And I think my parents were doing the best they could was you just suck it up and get it together. What's your problem? And that's how I was raising my children also. And what I noticed in my own parenting is that didn't quiet or, or, stopped the situation and only inflamed it and it became greater and greater until it was completely out of control. And when I taught, started speaking with the kids and talking to Dr. Matu, and I think it was um, Morgan who said, you know, the, the thing that my mom does for me that helps me the most is she sits on the bed with me and puts her hand on my back. And I'm like, what? Is it that simple? <laughs> <laughs> is it really just that, like putting my hand on my kid's back, you know? And so I tried it and it was like magic. It was like magic. Her and my, the energy came down and, you know, I said, why don't I make a hot cup of tea? The energy just further came down and I, I felt, wow, I am actually really helping my child. Like I would treat her if she had the flu. Or like I would treat her if she had an asthma attack. I wouldn't say, get it together. Why don't you just breathe? we got to go, you know, you have this appointment. I would get her, her inhaler. I would call the doctor. I would tell her to lie down. And that's exactly how I want, how I learned that I need to parent when anxiety disorder and depression comes up. And, and I think Regina says it best. It makes me cry every time because she was worried about getting uh, Roshan help, which I think every parent has that worry because it's going to create a record and it might impact their ability to go to a certain mm. college or do a certain profession because I yeah, think Roshan was looking into medicine. Um, so she had a great fear around that. And so she was worried that by getting her child help, she'd be a bad parent. And I said, do you think that now? And she's like, no, Roshan tells me that I'm a good parent for getting him help. Uh, and that makes me cry. It makes me cry every time. And then that makes I said, me How cry. Does that yeah. make you? and she's like, it means the world to me. I can't so imagine, I can't imagine feeling, I remember having people tell me like, you better get him life insurance now 
because as an adult, he will not be able to get it with this diagnosis or he won't, you know, people, even professionals were telling us, well, don't get him evaluated for this yet. The new DSM will be coming out and it might be, you know, people really did talk about that. So as a parent, I remember people saying things that, you know, in different, like I said, life insurance, uh, the fact that I was worried about my child becoming an adult and not being able to provide life insurance and get it, you know, if he had a family, that was a real concern for me. It didn't stop me from getting him help, but I hadn't thought about, would he be able to go to school? Would he be able to get it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. do the things he wanted to do in that sense? So, um, well, oh. could you imagine having a doctor that was living with anxiety disorder and depression? I mean, we, we want we want our professionals to help. Well, we want yeah. them to be able to get the help they need. That's the stigma. And that's yeah. what we believe that by watching our film, it will help in that, yeah. that stigma. Well, please, definitely yeah. oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say a lot of times, you know, addiction uh, specialists have been there. They understand it because they've been there so they can help from a different perspective. Right. Whereas a lot of and therapists have to go to therapy. They are they're, you know, listening to a lot of trauma from people, but, you know, I think there's something about, you know, listening to the story of someone who's lived it is very important, uh, to understand exactly what it's like. Like I can understand, I get messages from kids all the time who are struggling because they know that I will listen because they, they saw that model with Pearson, I guess. And I do always reach out to somebody that knows who this, like, who is this person? Make sure they have help. Uh, I make sure that somebody is aware that's a a professional and who the person is. But uh, there's a lot of people that don't feel heard. And I'm hoping that that's what this movie will help. They can feel like they can be heard now. They They have tools with which to say, no, I know that this is okay. And this is, you know, what this is. And this is how I need to get help. And that's just it. It's like all these children and their friends and and Regina and Ryan and Abby, everyone's sharing those stories. Other people realize they're not alone. And then they can actually have that tool saying, I know I'm no, I can do this. And they can see Abby getting on the news, you know, every day and being able to do her job. It doesn't mean you can't do things or be successful in life or lead a happy life. Um, And, you know, Ryan, you know, he's been announcing at the Royals for how many years he's had, you know, a successful life and career. Yes. They deal with anxiety or depression at times, but you can still function. I mean, it gave so much hope as well. I mean, the movie, it does all of it. I love it. Uh, Just like you, anxiety and depression, it's available on iTunes. Is it available anywhere else, Jen? Yes, um, it's also available on Apple TV and Amazon Prime, and it's on available on the cable, um, cable, you know, the on VOD on cable, and many many platforms. I can share them all with you. Love it, and you know, the last question I ask this of all my guests, because uh, always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them? Either one of you could answer that or both of you can answer that. I mean, I know what I would say. Um, I I do know what I would say. Oh, gosh. And give me a minute because that, that definitely takes me back to that night because 
I was there. Um, this is just a moment. This moment will pass. This is just a moment. And I'm here with you. And I will be here with you until the moment passes. That is what I would say. I mean, my son was very succinct in telling me that when he felt this way, it wasn't about me. It wasn't about his dad. And he couldn't think of us because the pain was so great. So I don't take it personally. It wasn't a choice. This was his illness. That's what he died from was his illness. But that was one of the things that I know he couldn't, like how much more do I have to bear? We, it will pass. I swear. Um, it will pass and we will get you the help that you need. That is, that is what I would have had. I known what was going to happen. That's what I would have said. Wow. Hillary. (laughs) Well, I mean, and I was, I was his biggest support. I mean, I was never not there. I was always there. Um, yeah. And looking back, I can see the signs that that day wasn't normal, that there were things I, I just, I don't understand. But um, I, um, he'd always asked for help and told, he'd always been open with me and told me when he didn't feel safe and we would take him. And things are very different now though, too, with the system. They, they address suicidal issues differently now. Um, the hospital that he would be inpatient and didn't, he was treated as a behavioral issue and not as someone who was suicidal. So they now have different programs for youth who are feeling this way. It's so much has changed in the last few years. And I'd like to think that he was part of that change in some way, but um, things are, there's a lot more available now than there was even just three years ago. So, but it is a moment and the moment will pass. We just have to get through this moment. And um, if anyone's feeling like that, they need to reach out for help and not just on a phone, not just in a text. You need to physically be with somebody and talk to them um, and tell them you need to be there until the moment passes. That's, it will pass. That's powerful. I've never Um. been asked that question. That was, I know that's it. That's an intense question, Leo. <laughs> no, it's a good, but it's a good question. Great that is a question. really good a question, question to ask. Yeah, it is. And I think my answer would be if someone, um, to the question before, before you kill yourself, um, I would say you, this is a medical condition. This is not your fault. Um, and I want to do whatever I can to get you the help that you need. I wouldn't treat it. I would treat it not unlike someone who was having a a life-threatening asthma attack or um, had had cancer that had progressed to the point where it was threatening their lives. And I would treat it like that kind of a medical emergency. And I would say to them, let me get you the medical help you need. I'm not equipped to provide. I can be here with you. I can speak with you while we get you to the people that can help you. Um, but I, w- I would treat it like a medical emergency because at the beginning of this project, it I is. didn't think it was, I didn't think it was. And now I, I understand that it is. It, it is a medical emergency. And I think that too many people are afraid to go and take that step and take 
a loved one to the hospital or to call 911 for a wellness check. Um, there's so many things that happen when someone is at that point. And if they let you know, or if you suspect you, there's a lot of self-harming that people will do that, that kids, adults will do. Uh, that's a sign to pay attention to. Um, but making that call and getting help is sometimes the hardest first step for people. And once you do that, it's, it's much easier. Once you take that first step, it's easy, but yes, it is definitely a medical condition. I don't feel, and we've said, it's just like cancer. It can kill it. Unfortunately it does. And it's not a, I don't feel it. I don't feel like my son felt like he had a choice. This wasn't a choice for him. This was, I can't handle this anymore. It's too much. It hurts. It hurts too much. And um, I know that when I was having those issues with my medicine uh, this last uh, last year, I felt like I didn't have, I felt like that was the only way to make it stop. I, I totally understand it now in a different way, but um, I think that's why it's so important to listen to kids. And it, like Jen said, I can get, I'm not equipped to help you, but I will get you the help. I will be here with you until we get that help. Hillary Phillips, Jen Greenstreet, thank you so much for joining me today. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALKS or if you're international in Budapest or Israel or uh, Toronto or Peru, wherever you are in the world, there are international suicide hotline phone numbers for you. You can call, you can text, you can chat. If you need medical assistance or uh, financial assistance, there are also links in each and every single one of the show notes to get help you with your uh, financial assistance. Uh, you can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you so much, Hillary. Thank, Thank you. you, Leo. Thank you for doing this podcast. This is an incredible work.